You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverdi. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Alboverdi, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall. And what is there to say, Graham? Disappointment. I think it's the word that sums up. Uh, I, I think frustration. Anger is a good one, too. Evisceration. Man. There's been a lot of it from Gator Nation over the past few days following Florida's 20-13 loss in Lexington, the first since 1986, the Gators' second to UK in four years, and uh, just kind of put the season's hopes and all of their goals and expectations in that dumpster that you always see on Twitter that's on fire. Something like that. Although the season's not over, but given the way that Georgia's playing and given the way that Florida's now looked in their first true SEC road test, it's hard to see a path to Atlanta now. It is. I, you know, I give Georgia a whole lot of credit for the way that they're playing. But as a Florida fan, if you're watching that game, you had to be just, that's like insult to injury in a sense, because it doesn't look like the Bulldogs are going to mess up en route to Atlanta. It looks like Florida pretty much after week five now doesn't really have much hope of that matchup, that rematch against Alabama that they talk so much about yeah. In week three, they talked about how they would have to practice every single week from here on out as if they were playing Alabama. And the team that looked so good against the Crimson Tide, honestly, aside from a few players that we're going to talk about here today, it was kind of nowhere to be found against an inferior opponent. And Kentucky may end up being the Kentucky of 2018 where they finish Ten inside wins. the top 15. Yeah. You know, win what I think they won a New Year's Six Bowl that year. They I were think, close to it. I think they could finish with 10 wins again. This That's season. a good team. And it's easier to say in retrospect, but you and I were both very high on them but last like, week. But like you said, they still are an inferior opponent. And that's a, not a knock on them. They're just talent level. They don't have the same amount of talent as Florida. If that game would have been played in the swamp, Florida wins. I, I agree. I, I agree. We talked about their improvement last week under Mark Stoops, the second longest tenured SEC head coach at one school behind Nick Saban. What he's done there has been incredible. They got an indoor practice facility before Florida. They spent $110 million on Kroger Field. That stadium sounded loud to me. Much louder than 61,000 were there. Louder than some NFL stadiums. And look, all the hype that was given to Georgia at the start of the season, and especially in the last couple weeks, I was buying it, but I also was just surprised at how many people were riding off Florida given the way that they played against Alabama. And even on Saturday, after they shut out Arkansas, it was just like, hey, let's schedule this SEC championship game between the dogs and the Tide. I'm like, well, there's still that game in Jacksonville that has to take place because I thought Florida would continue to ascend. I think what we came to find out is as well as they looked in their first two SEC games, those two SEC games were at home. That's true. And we had yet to see what this team, with a lot of new pieces, especially on the offensive side of the ball, would look like 
on the road in their first true road environment because USF, as we talked about, did not count. There were more Florida fans there than Bulls fans. So to go into your first away stadium with a sold-out crowd, because 2020 didn't count, that didn't happen that season. So your first time since October of 2019 when you played at LSU and you played at South Carolina. That's the last time this team and some of some of these players have experienced something like that. So having said that, if you were ever to say an offensive line is going to go into a game and have eight false starts, if there was ever a time that it would make sense or you could explain it, not that it's excused, but the only time would be this. Would be in a game where an offensive line, the team is playing in front of their first sold-out crowd on the road in two years. That's the product that it looked like on the field to me. I don't think that they're going to look like that the rest of the year when they go on the road. And I don't think that they would have looked like that Saturday night had they played in full-capacity stadiums last season. I feel like those false starts are a byproduct of this pandemic. Now, that does I'm not excusing it at all. They should have seen it coming and been prepared to have the right snap count to avoid that because clearly what they had wasn't working with the claps. But everyone just, like, dumbfounded at how this could happen. It's not that surprising to me. you got to put it in context. Absolutely. I think that the context surrounding what we've seen out of this Florida team, and you know, there's kind of one game you leave out really that sticks out in my mind. It's that Texas A&M game last year. Second game of the season. Or third game of the season. Still not sold out though. Still not even close to, I think, the crowd that they, crowd noise that they heard and felt Saturday night at Kroger Field. Now it was apparently what, 70% capacity against Texas A&M? Yeah, it was like 55, last year. 55,000. And you remember Dan Mullen was, he made those infamous now pack the swamp comments after that because he felt as if the impact of the crowd at College Station had such you know detrimental effect on Florida's offense that that's an advantage he would like to have back at home. And you see him now still coming out and saying, hey, I think the fans don't understand the impact that they have on the game. You heard him say that immediately after that Alabama game and against Tennessee. I'm with you that this game is played in Gainesville. I think that Florida comes out on top. But that's why you have to give Kentucky a whole lot of credit because they used that home field advantage to their benefit, obviously. And, you know, I I don't want all Florida fans to just hear this message, but it is kind of a testament to why coaches and media say, hey, the home field advantage, the impact of the crowd. It's worth seven points. It's actually, yeah, there's there's a, a reason behind the sayings it actually comes to life on Saturdays and Sundays. And just ask Alabama coach Nick Saban, that Crimson Tide team that experienced that a couple weeks ago. They had the same amount of false starts, I believe. And that's a, an offensive line with a first-rounder on it in Evan Neal. You look around the country, I mean, there may not be more talented offensive lines than that Alabama one. And this Florida one has looked really, really good this season. I thought a lot of that stuff was uncharacteristic. Of course it was. And it wasn't just on one guy. It was multiple guys that were called for So you stars. couldn't just say, oh, well, they have a pattern of doing this. You absolutely can say, well, what's the, I guess, independent variable here? Oh, it's the crowd noise. So, you know, we talked all last week about Florida playing their first true road contest. That was my lead in my advance was 
it was about that raucous crowd. That There's a reason, face. you know, people like us are talking about the effects of going on the road. Avery Helm, when we talked to him immediately after practice on Tuesday, said that, you know, they were pumping the decibels into the IPF to try and get Florida to work through some of this crowd noise here. Now, obviously, uh, it may need to be a little bit louder going for, you know forward to some of these other road games when they play Missouri and LSU, but they prepare for this type of environment, and I think you saw why on Saturday. And this obviously does not bode well for Baton Rouge. Oh, no. Because if they had trouble dealing with Kroger Field and that crowd there, it is going to be even louder in Death Valley, and that's always a tough place to go play. Regardless of how the Tigers are doing, they're coming off another loss at home. It was a great game between them and Auburn. I figured the Tigers were going to pull it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of them. Uh, but That's hey, good. look, I think Florida fans, obviously, they need to be huge Auburn fans once uh, the Georgia Bulldogs head to the Plains. And I honestly think that's probably the only team outside of Florida that has a chance to beat UGA or upset UGA, should we say. Bo Nix is going to have to have the game of his life in that matchup like he had in Death Valley. I will say this, though. I think LSU is going to be a tough test if they don't get those offensive line issues figured out. But when we come back from this first break, I want to bring up a point that everybody was saying after the Alabama loss and how it could still apply to this season. We'll be right back after this break. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. And Graham, you remember, obviously, after the Crimson Tide came in here, and pulled out that 31-29 to thrilling game that the conversation was really, hey, Florida has an opportunity to meet Alabama again in Atlanta. And that was kind of based in the belief that Florida could run the table the rest of the way, just given how they played against Alabama, the number one team in the country. And obviously... Folks don't have the same outlook on this team anymore. And Georgia, I think, given the way that they've played the past couple of weeks, have made that a harder reality to see. But I still feel like for the folks that felt like Florida could run the table and that they were capable of that, I think they still are. I think that Georgia game is obviously a huge daunting task now. But every other team on their schedule 
they can beat. I mean, they played well enough to win in Lexington Saturday, save for the penalties. I mean, if you don't have those false start issues, Florida probably wins that game. Now, it is worth mentioning that, once again, special teams came up and cost Florida a loss based on the block kick by Chrisman that was returned for the touchdown. That certainly was a 10-point swing there. But I do feel like Florida still has an opportunity here to, even if they can't get the win in Jacksonville, have a have a good season. And if they can finish the year 9-3, and three, that is going to be an improvement from last year's end result. Now they'll have to figure out where things play out in the bowl game and if there's any opt-outs. But not all hope is lost in terms of having a good season, If even if the path to Atlanta does, seems like a much harder road to get to, to now. Yeah, I wrote about that after the game. And, you know, credit Zachary Carter for coming out and saying that, that this team cannot hang their heads. They have to stay united, can't point fingers, and act as if the season is over. Because you have seen, I guess you could say, crazier things happen is a good way to put it. You know, in the last segment I mentioned that loss to Texas A&M last year. Well, remember what happened after that? Florida ran the table, beat Georgia, only to lose to LSU, but they had everything in front of them. They had set everything up. They beat LSU. They already had set up the rematch with Alabama in the SEC championship game. Who knows what may have happened? It is still incredibly early. You could run the table. You beat Georgia. Who knows what happens? But looking beyond that, there is still a whole bunch to play for. This is a team that... I mean, you could end up in the Sugar Bowl. You play yeah. your cards, right? And you can't let... I think we talked about this last week. You know, one loss become two consecutive losses. And this is a Vanderbilt team that is coming off a win. Give them a whole lot of credit. Yeah. You know, I know that we we don't say that too often, so you have to mention, you know, how often is it that this homecoming matchup, the Commodores are the one coming in with the momentum and Florida's the one that just kind of got hit in the mouth in the week prior. That has not happened too often in the series. This team cannot come out deflated, can't sit here and think that it's all over. It could absolutely get worse for Dan Mullen. I hate to say it like that, but losses to Georgia, you know, God forbid FSU. I know a lot of people don't want to think about that, but another team coming off their first win, the Knowles. So this team can absolutely it can go one or two ways. They can let the losses pile on or they can still make the most of the season. Yeah, and given where those two teams are at right now that they've lost to Alabama and, and Kentucky, both are undefeated. And looking at Kentucky's schedule, certainly think they're going to have the opportunity to win at home this weekend against LSU. Going to be a tough test going to Athens the following week. But every other game, I mean, that trip to Mississippi State could be tough. But you're looking at a Kentucky team that, at the end of the year, this might not look like a bad loss for the Gators. As bad as it feels now because of the expectations for this team and where we thought they could go and where maybe they were expected to go after the way that they played against Alabama. You don't expect them to almost beat the defending national champion and then lose in Lexington for the first time in 35 years. Like That's that's not how it's supposed to go. But... If Kentucky ends up having the type of season like they had in 2018, the last time they beat the Gators, this might impact the way the Gators are looked at at the end of the year in terms of where they're ranked or in terms of what bowl they go to. If they are 
ten and two or nine and three, depending on how they do with the rest of their games and, and certainly Georgia. Yeah, say you win out the rest of the way, and hey, you mentioned Kentucky has to go into Athens. One of those two teams is not going to be undefeated after that game. You absolutely are talking about the possibility if you run the table, the way the SEC has been known to kind of everyone beat up everyone in a sense, things could still shake out in Florida's favor. Especially, like you just said, if Kentucky gets the better of the Bulldogs and ends up being a top 10 team at the end of the year, we know that the voters get obsessed with rankings and individual matchups and they kind of look at hot streaks. If Florida comes in to the end of the season having won eight in a row, you know, there's a saying, the best thing you can do is lose early. If Florida's only two losses are in the first five games of the year, you know, Dan Mullen can sit here at the end of the year and say, well, look what we did this entire offseason. We had to go from a record-breaking quarterback, installed a new offense. You know, he can make a whole bunch of excuses for why Florida was losing games early and had to get things evened out and why the real Florida team you've seen in late November, early December is the one that you thought you were going to get the entire year. They just had to get some kinks worked out early on against two teams that now you look here and say, oh, two top 10 teams. Of course they beat a Florida team that was in flux. So still plenty to play for. Things could absolutely shake out, but I think we kind of all agree a third loss would be kind of like the LSU loss last year in that it really pretty much would spell the end of whatever New Year's Six plans SEC championship Florida still has. And you would start to have that conversation turn to the development, who's up next talk that no one really wants to have because it really has meant the end of your postseason expectations being really lofty, I guess. And speaking of lofty expectations, they're certainly there for the Georgia Bulldogs after they score their second straight shutout. And now they got uh, three consecutive top 20 opponents coming up on the road at Auburn. Then they get Kentucky at home before the bye week and the big matchup with the Gators in Jacksonville. So certainly a test last week in the Arkansas Razorbacks, but I think we're going to see really what this UGA team is made of, especially now that they have to to go on the road. And, And look, they got an incredible win against Clemson to start the season, and that's where a lot of the love fest started for them. But we've come to find out that that Clemson team is not the team that we thought it was. Definitely not. So, look, but we've also come to find out that this Florida team might not be the team that we thought it was now that we've seen them on the road in a full sold-out environment and and not handle it well. Uh, But as Dan Mullen discussed after the game, and we'll get to after this last break, there were still some positives to take away from the game, and we'll discuss some of them. But but obviously, I mean, the biggest is you got to fix that penalty issue more specifically with your offensive line and the fall starts and they got to get their special teams cleaned up because you can't keep having these kicking issues going through your sec slate but we'll come back from this uh last break and recap all that right here on the gator sports pod USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. 
Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. Welcome back to the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and as you've heard by now, Graham and I haven't called for anyone to get fired. Not yet. Stay tuned. Haven't called for anybody to be benched yet. (laughs) Although I, I know, man, listening to uh, shout out to Steve Russell, man, that Colin show. Oh man, it's always it's always a spectacle after every game. But Saturday night was something else, and a lot of people obviously frustrated, really, with Dan Mullen more than anybody, more than any players, or certainly other coaches on staff. They were mad about Dan's conservative play calling. I think conservative nature at the end of the first half not using his timeouts, going into the locker room content with the lead. And then obviously just the way things played out at the, at the end of the game. But, you know, you, you heard Mullen say like, hey, we shot ourselves in the foot and had a bunch of mental errors and mental toughness issues when it came to penalties. But he, in response to a question where he was asked – this is the first time that we've seen your offense, quote-unquote, sputter. Do you feel like you got outcoached by Mark Stoops? Dan did not like that question. No, he did not. Because his response to that was to look down at the box score and say, I mean, we had 382 yards. I guess that's sputtering. I guess that's, you call that sputtering. He goes, we, we outgained them. We outpassed them. We outrushed them. One time of possession. One on third down. They were one of nine on third down, Kentucky was. The Gators started that fourth quarter with the turnover on downs by the defense. They got the interception, only gave up 87 passing yards, 13 points. 20 points came off of the special teams, and the defense played well enough to win. So in Dan Mullen's eyes, he didn't feel like on the offensive side or on the defensive side those staffs got outcoached. He feels like our guys just couldn't stop committing penalties. Now, that does fall on him and his staff, but from a game-planning standpoint, like he disagrees with the notion that that they were outcoached. I mean, that's where he stands on that, but maybe that's why he still has his job this week. And I mean, come on, guys. I mean, they lost the road game in the SEC. Yes, it, it's never, never good to lose to Kentucky, but this is not the Kentucky of the 2000s and the 90s. This is a different squad, and uh, you know Dan Mullen is still the coach that has accomplished a lot here. Not certainly what he wants and not what the fans' expectations are yet, but I mean, he was also the coach that was getting a ton of praise a couple weeks ago, so I was I was surprised by some of the vitriol that was thrown his way because certainly could have played some things better but I do feel like the offense did play well enough and the defense did play enough well enough to win on those sides they just made a huge special teams blunder again and had the worst penalty performance that we've seen from a Gators team since 2001 that's a very rare thing to happen yeah I think Dan Mullen knows they hate you one minute and love you the next 
he's going to rebound from this. We've seen him, you know. <laughs> rebound from a lot. Yeah, we've seen him coach his butt off a whole lot. I have no doubt about his ability to respond when it comes to coaching. What happens if they beat Georgia, Graham? I mean, I just said it. I think that, you know, if they run the table the next two months, a lot of people are going to be... Is that narrative still the same then? The is same if, if people he, running if, the burner accounts and adding him are going to be asking for his autograph at Spurrier's. I, I just, mean, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying fans out there, you shouldn't be frustrated, you shouldn't sure. be mad, you shouldn't be... But, like, to act like now all of a sudden... This program's not heading or in the right direction. The man, yeah, or you like want to put the man on the first flight out of here. Like, I don't know what other coach in the country could have lost by Alabama the last two years by six and two points. That's got to count for something. Yeah, because no one was, no one's beating them. Yeah, so it's not like you said, well, we should have had that guy that beat them. Well, nobody did. Yeah, I mean, they're no, what, no, they've won their last nineteen games in a row and Florida's the only team twice to come within a touchdown of the, I think of them in that span and, and this year it should have been an overtime if there game. was extra time on that clock I think a lot of you know Florida fans came away angry at that result because they feel like maybe they could have you know there were clock issues in that one you know I, I digress but with Dan Mullen I think that listen with the false starts that should absolutely be cleared up in practice this week and I think that's what made people so angry about him because it wasn't a lack of development it wasn't a lack of execution because you had all of that. You had the pieces. You had more talent. But you kept making mistakes that should be fixed up in practice. Do you agree with him with his feeling that they were not outcoached? No, because I think he proved it in the postgame comments with one answer. And here's what I'm going to say by that. He was asked about the last two minutes in the first half. And whether he thought that they should have tried to score. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Zach. But he said in his answer that... He said, what, there was like 30 seconds left? Yeah, he did say that. There was, uh, there was under two minutes. Right, that like shocked the heck out of me that he said there was 159 on the clock exactly. I went back and rewatched it. Florida had exactly two minutes and three timeouts. Yeah, he, he, he misspoke there for sure. He either misspoke or he still didn't realize <laughs> several hours later that Florida had another shot to score downfield. I mean, this is the same guy well, that well, was took that it, threw a hail mary at the end of the first half against FAU when you're already up what? Yeah, and multiple you, touchdowns. And you mentioned downfield. That's something we'll talk about. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were multiple things where you could have been like, "Where is this? Where is this? Where is this? We've seen this, this, this throughout the first four games of the season. Why aren't you attempting them now against Kentucky? Was it the arrogance in the opponent? Because you heard him and Todd Grantham give a lot of credit to Mark Stoops throughout the week for what he built. Even though there was a little bit of, uh, you know, people call it bulletin board material with not immediately knowing, you know, Wandale's number. Yeah, I mean, like, come on. You can look at it however you want. At the end of the day, this is optics in my mind. There was the photo of him smiling afterwards. There was also, what did you see in the game? You saw Mark Stoops lose his, his hat at the officials, freak out when a call didn't go Kentucky's way. I can't remember seeing Dan Mullen frustrated with the officiating crew with some of the errors and maybe that's because a lot of them were they were they're florida's there fault was, there was one phantom false start i felt like but you know and there were some others that went uncalled so how can you really get angry you know at officials for calling one because they excuse the other ones but again i digress i think that a lot of what fans want is for dan mullen to stick up for the program to stick up for the gators when they go on the road like what you saw out of Mark Stoops, because maybe this is just me. It felt like after you saw Mark freak out there early in the game that they got a lot of calls. They did get a lot they of calls, did. and and 
maybe that's some I'm buying into the fan type thinking right now by saying that. But it did just feel you're coming off of the most penalized Florida game in the last decade, it feels like. I just I just feel like you couldn't really make a fuss about the penalties on Florida because they were false starting. Yeah. Like, I was like, what are you gonna what are you gonna yell at the refs about my guys keep jumping? And the offensive line concerns that you have now are also totally different than the ones you had last year and the year before. I mean, last year it was the lack of pass blocking ability, and now can they handle a road environment? Which yeah, we'll yeah. find out at LSU. Which is just crazy. I mean, that's also what has got to be so frustrating. They're finding new ways to I don't want to call them setbacks, but to kind of be the Achilles heel of the offense in a sense here. And I had said last week that you know I think that I gave you know them I named them the X factor for the game, the health of the offensive line, knowing that those guys were banged up. Well, ended up, it ended up not being the health, and ended up being how they handled the environment. Absolutely, and. You mentioned X Factors, Graham. We also usually do helmet stickers when we come back from a game. We did that on the Monday after the Alabama loss. We felt like Florida had played well enough in that game, specifically some players that they still deserve some praise. After this game, really don't feel like there's that much of that to go around. I think that there were some guys individually that did step up and play well uh, that Graham and I will recognize. But, I mean, when you lose – Regardless of what Kentucky has done to improve as a program and as and as good as they might be this year, you still lost in Lexington, and that snapped a 16-game winning streak, and, and there's not a lot to celebrate coming out of there. I do think that the receivers played well when they had their numbers called. Trent Whittemore, Jaquay Brown Frazier's gets his first career touchdown. Jacob Copeland made some big catches. And once again, I, I thought guys were – running open at times and certainly down the field and just not really any deep shots from Emory Jones in this game. And that's something that we've really yet to see from this passing offense with him behind center. So I do think obviously it's been a different year for the receivers because they're asked to block way more and they're not getting as many balls thrown their way. But when they do, at least on Saturday night, I thought some guys were able to make some plays, but certainly not enough to get the job done. But Graham will go to his comments, but like I just wanted to chime in. Like I thought defensively, I mean, they played well enough to win the game. You give up 13 points, just over 200 yards, and get a turnover, you should win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we said this a lot. The frustration is the fact that all facets of the game, really outside of special teams. I want to say special teams, but then, you know, he hit a, hit a critical field goal. I mean, so it's not a complete failure in a sense yeah, here. because you got the – I mean, it went on Crispin that the kick got blocked, but then he, speaking of penalties, hits the 46-yarder. They get called for false start, and then he has to come back, and then he hits, hits for it again. I mean, you can't knock the guy who's hitting 50-yard field goals after you know hitting a 47-yarder the week before. So, I mean, that's what's frustrating. Florida played a complete game in a sense here, and you mentioned defensively. I keep mentioning him, but I'm going to go with Diabate. For the other helmet sticker, I mean, he tied his career high with 11 tackles. Huge game from him. It looked like every time Rodriguez was in there, it looked like he was going to pick up extra yardage. Diabate was in on the tackle. We talked about last week he had came into the game leading the Gators with Trey Dean in tackles with 26. Now the sole leader on Florida with 37. So clear that he has had a huge impact on this de- defense after Ventrell Miller went down really haven't missed too much of a beat there and yeah they played so well that look at the box score 
limiting that Kentucky offense to under 250 yards, you should win most games. Yeah, and on obviously without Kyrie Elam, you got to give a props to the secondary too for not really giving up anything other than the the touchdown by Robinson. I mean, they they really shut uh, Will Levis and and those and those receivers of his down. And you had Jason Marshall out there. I thought he played really well for SEC road environment for him. So we'll continue to see how those guys do, but more importantly, how this whole team bounces back from its second loss of the season. They got homecoming this weekend against Vanderbilt, certainly an opponent that they will be able to bounce back from, but uh, they got to get some things corrected from a penalty standpoint. I mean, I don't think it would hurt to start working on it and practice this week to get ready for that trip to uh, Death Valley. But uh, look, Atlanta certainly seems like it's going to be tough for the Gators to get to now, but they still have a chance to have a good season, maybe have a good bowl game if they can get some things figured out and and play more like they showed a little bit earlier in this year. So that'll do it for this episode. Graham and I will join you guys later in the week to preview homecoming against the Vanderbilt Commodores. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Alpaverde.